0: <laughs> hey, welcome to Live from the Back Seat, by Hi everybody, welcome to Live from the Back Seat. Thank you for joining us today. I'm really excited for our guest today. Um, as you know, I'm a huge advocate for mental health and um, I think it's really central to self-care. Um, I'm always looking to learn more, so today I have a super awesome guest for you guys, Dr. Ashley Elliott. Um, She's a behavioral therapist and the owner of Vivid Innovators Consulting, LLC. Hi, how are you today? I am fine. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Well, just why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, kind of like give more detail about what you're doing and who you are. Um, the, the, the dreaded talk about myself, but I do it, I do it, <laughs> yes. so, uh, <laughs> yes, I'm Dr. Ashley Elliott, otherwise affectionately known as Dr. Vivid, I might answer the both on the street, <laughs> so, I am a doctor of clinical psychology, um, I'm a motivational speaker, an author, I'm a special education advocate, a, middle, a mental health advocate, and a mommy, Um oh. a who just, can be lucky if you bucks, and i can also tell you about my spirit um all of those things um but I, I really just have a passion for um mental health mental health awareness especially being a little black girl from washington dc um i primarily practice um as far as my therapy clients go i'm mm-hmm. in northern virginia but I also do wellness and lifestyle consultations online vialy and over the phone. Cool. Um, I do lectures, seminars. I go everywhere because it's not just about being in the therapy chair, it's about reaching people everywhere and I have to meet people where they are for them to know where they need to be. Yes, yeah, definitely. I love that. Um, something I'm definitely gonna ask you later on is um, how like you know. Cause mental health is so important but I feel like in the black community part of the problem is that like a lot of people just don't have access so I love that you have made yourself accessible in all these different ways like online and stuff like that because a lot of times when I suggest like therapy to my friends you know a lot of the pushback is like well I don't know where to find the therapist like I don't know where to find a black therapist I don't feel comfortable going somewhere and like I'm like but there's other ways. There has to be. Um, so I met Dr. Elliot over the past weekend at the Black Girls Thing Good Vibes Tribe's Mental Health Panel discussion, and that was a super amazing experience. Like, I was not. I was expecting it to be good, but I wasn't expecting it to be like that amazing as it was. Um, it was special. It was. It was like really special energy in the room, and um, we touched on a lot of subjects. We touched on relationships and navigating the professional space and soul ties and like all these wonderful things. And you were dropping gems and like preaching. So <laughs> <laughs> Every everybody's like, "Oh, yes, yes." <laughs> <laughs> So, um, my, I really love the one quote you said that I really, really love was how you said, um, sometimes your gift is too big for the room. Mm. I kind of wanted to touch on that because, um, you shared a story about like your struggles in, the, in your professional world, um, as a therapist in this mental health space and just, I think that's something, like, I know myself, that's something I really struggle with, like, particularly, like, it's, I've realized as I've gotten older, it's a trigger for my anxiety of just being in professional spaces and feeling, like, this, like, almost, impo- like, imposter syndrome of, like, oh my gosh, like, should I really be here? Or people being like, Simone can do it, and I'm like, oh, oh can I? <laughs> Are you sure about that? Don't please don't volunteer me. <laughs> Knowing like, so like I probably can, but right. I wanted to talk about get um, your advice on like how how do you navigate that, particularly as a black woman because I feel like you're told a lot of the times that like you can't sit at this table, but then you find yourself at that table and it seems like you're going so unheard. How do, how do you deal with that? Wow. That all it's this is a great question and I love that you preface it around as a black woman um, and so many times that we get told we're not welcome in spaces or we get treated in a way that we know okay I'm not welcome in this space my voice yeah. is not being honored here and as we go through life and we start correcting the tools that we need for our toolbox to be most effective in whatever our our hustlers, our professional, our creative endeavors, you start realizing that you're good at things. And yeah. you start realizing that on the low, you're really great at certain things. But for so long, we've been told to be quiet and let men lead or be be more supportive in the role instead of uh, more vocal because you don't want to become across... Sometimes society sees black women being vocal as as being bossy and I've always said that you have to change the spelling it's no I'm not being bossy I'm just trained to be a boss and you need to understand that and it's okay for me to be that way and it's something that I struggle with myself um you know going into this to a therapeutic realm until a couple of years ago this was a very male-dominated field yeah, mental health. And if you look at, like, the research, it's, it's still very male-dominated, you know. Who we look to, to as our theorists, who we look to as um, our training, supervising the lead researchers. It's like, well, damn, where do we fit? Um, and we especially when you talk about a little black girls. Yeah. Um, like, where do I fit in there? That's so true. I've always felt so lucky that, like, I, I have a black female therapist that I've mm-hmm. been with for, like, years now. But I've always known that, like, when I found her, it was so, like, by the luck of God. And I was like, I'm <laughs> with you. Because I don't know. You know, this was, like, uh, maybe, like... Eight years ago. So it was like, I really don't know in this area where, I, like, at the time I was like, where I'm going to find another. I just got really lucky and, like, we're going to roll with it. And I mean, it ended up working out and she ended up being, like, a wonderful asset to my life. She's like my auntie now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm like, I appreciate her. But um, that's definitely, I, I've definitely noticed that, that, like, there isn't, up until recently, that I'm starting to see, like, women. Like, just, ha- like, a lot of female therapists and, like, mental health professionals and, like, not just, I don't think that they didn't exist, but, like, actually being mm-hmm. viewed as relevant mm-hmm. in the space, if that makes sense. Yeah, because a lot of times we're synonymous with being, oh, if you're in the mental health field, you must be um, a psychiatric nurse or oh, yeah. you must be a social worker. And we're like, No, doctor, I am the clinician here and it, it shook a lot of the the wave and as uh, psychology as it in terms of psychology of women and um other psychology as as it relates to diverse populations started to get more of that boil up we started creating more of a space for ourselves because we Mm -hmm. also saw that our community was really at risk. And what started happening in the last couple of years, especially in Washington D C so I speak about it, Mm -hmm. um, was that you see all these programs come in, these mental health programs come in from outsiders. um, And usually they were headed by... Caucasian clinicians or volunteers who some have really good intentions, but they had no idea of how to deal with the population. So yeah. they were just band-aiding a lot of the, the situation. Because you can come into a situation with all the book knowledge in the world, but if you can't create, you can't connect on a cultural level, or you can't understand the basic needs of the people that you're speaking with, nothing gets done because yeah. there's a level of, um, dis- and dis- disconnect and dis- distrust. Yeah. Yeah. My brother, <laughs> it's so funny, my brother had that experience. He had, the he saw a therapist briefly and it was a white female. And, you know, I was like, you know, so how do you like it? Whatever. Cause I've always been very like big on him going to see a therapist. And, um, he was like, yeah, no, she's cool. Like it's cool. But like, you know, she's an old white woman. Like there's certain stuff. I'm just not going to talk to her about because, (laughs) like, I already know she's not going to get it. She's not going to get it, and, like, I don't want to go through that, like, possibility of, like, being vulnerable in that space, and then you kind of get this, like, reaction of, like, oh, wait, you know, maybe it was wrong to be vulnerable in that way. Mm -hmm. So it it is so (laughs) important to have people that, like, you can identify with that just, like... Because I know therapists aren't supposed to like tell you what to do and stuff like that. <laughs> like they're you know, professionals; they're not your friends. But like it is so like comforting to when it's like you know, oh, like okay, you kind of get where I'm coming from because like you're also a black woman. Like you've also been there before. Like all right, I'm not crazy. Like they're saying I'm crazy, but <laughs> right, no, I wasn't. You get it. You I can make a joke about something culturally, and you not look at me and start scribbling. You know, no, yeah. yeah. You understand it. You get it. And, and it started being more of a thing. In the last in the last five to ten years, you've seen an influx of women of color, black women pursuing high, higher level degrees. Mm-hmm. So we started going into our community and saying, look, they're not going to fix it for us. They're doing more harm than good. Sometimes not their intention. Sometimes actually it is. We're going to be real right here. Mm-hmm. And um, we got to do something about it. And I've been wanting to do this since I was four years old. There's no other path I wanted to try it on. So, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And in that, I realized I had an uphill battle when I had a cohort of over 160 people when I came into my master's program. And I say, I'm doing a a quick scan in my head. And I'm saying maybe, I can think of maybe 10 of them that look like me to some degree or were a person of color. And no then way. by the time we got through the transition to the, the the doctoral part of our program, or oh, that number, you get bit to the point where I am literally, I, I think, I know every black person that was in <laughs> my cohort that graduated yeah. within that time. I know your name. Even if you came in the cohort the year after me, I know your name. And I can put, all of us can fill up a small classroom, a very small one. And it became apparent to me as I was here, I was like, okay, well, I need it. But it also became almost suffocating because we were getting challenged left and right by our white classmates. To the point where diversity classes were having to be stopped because they were telling us about our experience. And I was like, what the hell is this about? Um, yeah, or just questioning us, just like, well, why should you be the expert on this? Why should I be the expert on blackness? Because I'm black, <laughs> right? I, like, what do you? Think I live it. That's every like, day. Like, that's how that happens. This isn't like I said. I'm the expert on like Sephora. You know, right. I literally cannot wash this shit off. Like, I've been right. this way since I woke up. So, how? Who are you to tell me that I don't know? Or I'm not pursuing the knowledge the proper way to treat people who look like me. And that's when that, was apost- before imposter syndrome really became the thing. It really becomes part yeah. of the terminology. Right. A couple years ago. But I felt that. I was like, am I, I would literally cry and call my mom every yeah. year and be like, is this what God really wants me to do? Because why yeah. does it feel like this? And I-, I-, I always tell people, I also have a diagnosis of uh, anxiety and um, depression. And my anxiety was so bad um, in graduate school because of dealing with what I know now was imposter syndrome, being in a a Caucasian-dominated field. Hmm. So I, because I also have um, panic disorder, and like I experienced that, particularly like the last job I was at, I was there for over a year, and it was a very like toxic and strenuous environment, and there were many a days I found myself, like, in the bathroom, full-on panic attack, like, I'm and, you know, one thing that I really, um, ha- like, the, it's, the thing is, like, as a black woman in the career space, and particularly in the corporate world, like, you, not, like, it sounds, and it sounds so terrible to say this, but it sounds like an excuse when you're, like, you know what I mean? Like, and especially even just as a woman in general, like,
1: to be like,
0: like, having these, like, to, to have anxiety and deal with these symptoms and whatever in these spaces, like, can, can kind of increase the imposter syndrome, because syndrome, then you're feeling like, okay, like, why am I not equipped to handle this? Like, you know what I mean? How, like, what are tools that you can use to kind of push through? Because you have to take up space in order to, like get what you deserve in this world. Like, no one's going to hand it to you. But, like, taking up space is a, as you said, it's like you're following God's purpose for you, but it was like, is this really what God wants me to do? Because this feels crazy. Like, sit down, I'm like, I'm about to pass out. And it really does feel like, that's something that really resonates with me, because it really does feel crazy sometimes when you're doing what you know, like, you want to do and that you're called to do, and that's really meaningful and important, but it's, like, in order to succeed, you have to push through these, you know, this issue, and also, like, it's, you know, with anxiety, it's not, like, something you can help, you know what I mean, so, like, I always hate, for me, I hate when people are, like, well, you know, you just, you just deal with it, just, like, people who don't have anxiety, or they're, like, just don't panic, and I'm, like, thank you, That's That's wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> stupid, I'm, like, excuse it. you're 100%. right, you're 100%, I didn't even think of that, I just won't panic. Because that didn't right. cross my mind. <laughs> so how? And, and, and sometimes it can make you kind of avoid um, taking steps to assert yourself. And so how? How did you? Or in your experience, like what what advice can you give for people who are like, I want to take up space and I want to assert myself, and but like I'm struggling with imposter syndrome and I have anxiety and like, I mean, it, it does physically make you want to like curl in a ball. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. It is. It is terrible. And I said, I when people tell people to not, oh, just don't think about it or just don't panic and you'll overcome it if you distract yourself and you just don't think about it. That's like telling someone with asthma that just just breathe. Right. I can't, or else I wouldn't be in this position. You know. So what I found personally for myself, mm-hmm. I had to have. I really had to have a conversation with myself and say, you know. What change are you looking to create? And if you back out now, Mm -hmm. do you see someone else that is capable of creating that same change? The way you want it to be made. And at the end of the day, I I, I love all my colleagues. And I have a lot of friends who are dope, brilliant, amazing clinicians. But no one sees the world the way I see the world. Right, and I, I said, okay. Well, that means I have to do it. So I, after I think about, I think I went a year in because I also had a, a medical conditions here, mm-hmm. and I went a year in of just really trying to figure out what to do. And it's so funny because everybody in a clinical program, like we're all in a clinical program together to be. To be psychologists, mm-hmm. but we had literally no time to see a therapist. So, right, <laughs> we're to figure it out. Well, right, all right. You know, I started talking to what I started doing was talking to other classmates that look like me, and I had other mm-hmm. friends and classmates that don't look like me as well. And I was, I, you know, really just saying, "Do you feel this way?" And having these deep conversations, and we would be. Uh, downstairs at Piola, crying our eyes out, having a, a yeah. real suffering moment. Like, yeah, I feel this way too. So, one of the first things that I had to do for myself was realize that I didn't have to be alone in it completely. I could talk to someone else, and I wasn't the only one feeling these feelings. Because I'm taking a big step professionally, and not everybody can do what we're doing. Not everybody yeah. does for advanced degrees. degree. Not right. even if you're, even if you're not in school, if you're a creative. Not everybody has the same skill set as you. So that carries a lot of burden. It carries a lot of pressure. And I had to understand that that was okay. That was, mm-hmm. that was a big thing. Saying it was okay and it wasn't a secret. And that I could talk about it. Um, the second thing that I really had to do after that first year, I really sat down and talked to my doctors. I made appointments. I talked to therapists. I did what I had to do. And I got on medication Because mm-hmm. to get to the point where I was having panic attacks, uh, well, anxiety attacks rather that were interfering with my ability to study properly. Yeah, and I would be in a class, and it's some hard body stuff being taught. And yeah. I, am like, damn! The last fifteen minutes have been about me hearing my keys because my leg is going a mile a minute under the desk yeah. because I'm trying to control my breathing. My thoughts are running a mile a minute, and it was it was getting intense for me so I knew for myself that I had tried a lot of coping mechanisms on my own mm-hmm. I had tried talking to someone I had tried seeking out a professional but for me I thought it was working too mm-hmm. I needed to take a medication to help decrease the level of intense symptoms exactly. of feeling so that I could function normally and it was something that I started doing everyday and um, I was monitoring my symptoms along with my doctors, mm-hmm. and it's it was a big relief. And the be funny, the funny thing about it is, you know, coming into your own, you're like, oh. you, I'm thinking I'm telling a big secret, like, yeah, I'm thinking that. And <laughs> I think, that's exactly what I was gonna ask you because for black people, it's so like, like I mean, even for myself, like I, well, I used to take some medications that were not real good for me. Um, they did not. I am very not good with real drugs. <laughs> 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 my body is like, eh, shut down, no, you got it, you it. But um, now I have a medical marijuana card, and I take a, um, actually, I take a CD detail. In the morning, that has replaced my medication, but it gives me all the physical <laughs> relief because I have, I have some really physical symptoms. So it, it helps me cope, but it doesn't have, like, the psychoactive, right? And it, like, for me to even come to the point when it was, like... I need to go, like, actually get medication for this, when I even started that journey, like, there was so much anxiety around just doing that, because of the, like, stigma in the black community of, like, oh, she crazy crazy, like, you know what I'm saying, no, oh, she's she a real type of crazy, okay, like, <laughs> like, and it was just one of those things where it's, like, and, yeah, and, like, not, and even still, like, you know, my family, and sometimes, you know, like, you know, oh well, like you don't don't let your clients know or don't let your employer know or don't let you know what I mean, like or, or you know, don't let people you're networking with know. And it's like I mean, this isn't like something I'm just talking about casually over cocktails, but at the same time, like I'm it's also a lot to deal with, like the sh- like trying to be ashamed of that. When at the end of the day, I'm really just trying to do something to make myself better, so that I can function at a higher level and be high functioning. And now for myself, like that journey for me started maybe like five, six years ago. Like since I've like now found something that works for me that I can like rely on. Like I am so high functioning. For me, is anxious, but quite frankly, all the time. <laughs> and- <laughs> I'm like, like, I I recognize that, like, I'm very grateful because a lot of that is because of that, but it's so taboo in our community, and it's it's, it's like there's anxiety about even doing that because of how taboo that is. How do you combat, like, that judgment from people within the community, and, like, how did you start to feel comfortable um, being open about that? Because I feel like it's so important to be open about it because then other black people feel like, oh, like, okay, well she found something that works for her, and, like, she's taking medication, and, like, okay, like, that, that's helping her. Maybe, okay, I can do that, too. Like, how, do you, how did you overcome that? So I have the I have funny, guilty part of it, and then I'll give you the real part of it. Okay. The jokey part of it is in grad school, so many people self-meditate. is crazy um, because it's a very intense. When you get to the doctoral level, uh, I tell students all the time, it's really intense. I'm not going to lie to you everybody ain't cut out for it, but if you are, get your cloth together, because so you're going to take some slips. And you see people around you, you know, I, I drunk the most wine I broke in my life, and was going through, you know, my grad school years, and it was just like, I'd be so spit, like, or I'd be like, oh, okay, let's go get shots after this test because it ruined my life, you right know I mean? and, and I'm like, okay, and then were, there would be these parties, um, they were like, oh, okay, we're going to come over. And it's like, mm-hmm. this person's on ADHD meds, so they have Adderall. And you're like, no, I I'm, I'm cool. Um, and then you have this person who's just like, I literally, I will never say this person's name, but I literally had one one really good, good friend that I had mm-hmm. in grad school who was just like, if I don't have Adderall and Coke, I can't get through this. And I was like, what? And I, just, I to talk about something. <laughs> But it was so normalized because, yeah. and I was like, well, if these things are normalized, if we're all normalizing, oh, uh, we're just going to get drunk because we're so rep emotionally and stressed out, right. why can't it be normalized for us to take medication? Now, within my grad school cohort, black or white, we were like, yeah, because this is what we're going to school for. So we were like, let take medication, it's fine. Like, what milligram of gum? So you are, oh, right. no, You know? But there came a time in my life where, you know, I'm talking to my family and I'm talking to friends and 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 also the church family and they're like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, meditation, you don't need that in your body. It warps your thinking. You putting foreign substances into your body. That's like, that's just akin to, you know, taking Ill- illicit drugs and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And I have to form it a different way. First of all, a lot of the psychoactive drugs that we are taking are not Full of all these foreign substances that actually contain chemicals that mimic or help activate things that are already naturally produced in our body. Right. So it's the same thing as a, a doctor saying, You're vitamin D deficient. I'm going to prescribe you 50 IUs of vitamin D, get some sunlight, drink vitamin D milk. You right. know, you need to up your levels. So if I need this to help even out my level of serotonin, dopamine, GABA, whatever I need to, this makes sense. Why not take something that's going to help increase or decrease something that's uh-huh. that's out of whack? Because if Uncle if Uncle Johnny needs to take his cholesterol pill in order to even that out. You're not going to be like, "Johnny, you just out here putting, right? <laughs> You know, you don't that. That doesn't make any sense. You're not know? right. going to tell Aunt Tabitha not to take her insulin. You know, right. we're not going to do any of those things. And I had to realize, and I started talking to my family, friends, and friends, and all those people. It's it's not about oh you're you know, they're putting something in you that shouldn't be in you because let's apply that to everything. You sneeze a couple of times in the office. You like, are like oh girl, I was just acting up. You gonna pop that Benadryl? So, mm-hmm. and, and Benadryl, you know, is helping to <laughs> me. So, it's helping to even out something that you naturally produce. Right. So, let's talk about it. Let's be real. I had to come to that moment where I was like, I'm doing something for myself to help balance out something that's already naturally occurring in me. And also, to be honest, I had to get to the point. Can we cut on your podcast? <laughs> Can I use profanity? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Go okay. ahead. I had to stop giving a fuck about what other people were thinking about me because I'm struggling and you're Ah. judging me, but you don't know the depth of my struggle. And if you're ready to step in this and feel the way I feel... I cannot let you make me continuously struggle because you're judging me. Because you, your judging is not helping maintain my level. judging is that's not helping. really me. the key. Because for me, that was a big thing, too, of just learning to be like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, fuck it. it. Is. This is what it is. Like, what, like learning to not, and even still, like, when people like, you know, what's wrong? And it's like you know, like, oh, I'm just tired, like, bitch, I'm anxious, like, uh-huh, like, that's what's wrong, I'm anxious, and I, I like, I would like to be left alone, like, I don't really want to lie to you and say that I'm tired, because I'm not actually tired, I just have this fucking shakes right now, okay, I'm leaving me alone, like, and, and it's just learning, like, getting to that point of not caring, but then, also, like, just, like, Not caring what people say, but also because one thing that I think is kind of, like, fucked up about our, like, just people in general, and something I've definitely experienced, it wasn't really real for a lot of people in my life that love me very dearly and have been extremely supportive after the fact. But it wasn't real until they, like, are witnessing it. And for me, it's a thing of, like... Because even when it comes to just kind of, like, you know, like, implementing tools, like, setting boundaries, whatever, whatever, stuff like that, it's, like, you kind of have to get the people around you to work with you, right? Like, mm-hmm. you to, like there has to be a level of, like, I might not understand what you're going through, but I'm going to respect whatever you said you need right now. And, you know, and it's, like, I, one thing I saw was, it wasn't until I was, until people in my life who loved me were witnessing these, like, scary ass panic attacks, and like, mm-hmm. we're like, watching me vomit for hours of a day, like, then it was like, oh, shit, it's real, yeah, I, I, I only bring that up to say, it's like, I think it's so important for us to kind of, like, realize with our friends and family before it gets to that point, because it's frustrating when you gotta get to the point where I'm having a panic attack in front of you for this now to be real and valid, right, <laughs> and for, for the judgment to go away, and like, Just, you know, and it has to get like, it shouldn't, I felt like for myself, if I would have dealt with things before they hit the fan, I would have been better off. I I wanted to kind of ask you, you mentioned that you knew you wanted to do this since you were four. Mm -hmm. How did you know so early? Like, what led you into this that made, like, not many four-year-olds understand what mental health is, or what mental health services are, and are like, this is what I'm (laughs) going to do. Okay. (laughs) People always look at me crazy when I say that. They're like, how did you know? Well... What happened is my my family was plagued with a lot of their own demons, their own issues. So my mother, who my mother knows, and she allows me to talk about whatever comes to her, and I love her dearly for that. My mother struggled a lot with um, bipolar disorder, uh, a, back then, uh, ADD, uh, which was just attention deficit disorder, and her own issues with substance abuse. Um, there were other members of my family that dealt with substance substance abuse and mental illnesses and also dealing with I was born in 1987 so a lot of my family members were hit by the crack era Mm -hmm. and there were so many things going on there was a physical physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse that I endured and also my family members shared in that trauma and my mother, um, she was a young mom. My mother had me at like eighteen. So she saw things that were hap- that happened in her life. And though some of those things did unfortunately repeat in mine, she yeah. tried to get in front of things early. So at four, um, she decided she that I had gone through so much and seen so much trauma that she wanted to take me to therapy. And I had oh, that's two therapies. Wonderful, wow. Yeah. And that's not so crazy. special. That, that, yeah. that To me, that's like amazing. Wow, that's amazing. Because there's so many black kids who reach out when they're little and their parents don't know how to handle it. And so it's, nothing is ever followed up on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I realized as I got older what a special woman my mother was Because remind you. While I'm going to therapy, she's still fighting her own things and trying wow. to therapy herself. yeah. So, and and at the time I'm four, if you're doing that math, my mom's in her early 20s. Yeah. So, she's trying to figure life out. Right. So, I go to therapy, and the first therapist was Charles. Like, mm. I remember, I can't remember his name, but I remember just being this black man mm-hmm. who was putting words in my mouth and was using clay therapy, but in a way that I didn't feel comfortable with and was more focused on giving me snacks and giving me treats to open me up. And I was, he was trying to create a narrative that would fit a diagnosis for him. Right. I know that now, but as a four-year-old, I knew that he was lying. Oh, yeah, was it was just like, it oh, don't feel right, and you not, yeah. you're not on it, right? And I didn't feel like I, I've always been a very emotionally expressive and a, a somewhat timid kid. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I would cry after the sentence. And my mother would be like, this is counterproductive. Like, yeah. what's going on? And I bless her. She came and talked to me and said, what's the problem? So he came and gave her this scenario, you know, about trauma and something that happened. And this whole story that was completely made up, I made it up with certain element to see if my mother would get that I was lying. Yeah. And she got it. And it was at that point that my mother was like, oh, you're not going back to him. Because I, was, I, I left these elements and my mom was like, this is not even true. None of these right. things could possibly happen. And you're out here telling her that she needs to do this, this, and this. And this is not what, I, what she's here for. So I felt terrible. I was still dealing with my issues. I had a lot of anxiety, um, and my mom was uh, was like, "Okay, well, let's figure it out again." So then she was then she kind of felt like at one point maybe you were kind of pushing over on him too. It was a and she's still young, she's still young. Huh? So she takes me to this very strict, very cold old white woman, and, and I hated it. I hated yeah. it. I would tell her, now I'm telling her the real stuff that's happening in my life as far as the abuse and the trauma and stuff that I've seen. And she's telling me I'm lying. She's like, you're lying. Literally. And I'm like, oh, this wow. is bullshit, if I could say bullshit when I was four. Yeah. And again, I'm coming out of sessions and I'm shutting down. And my mom just decided at that point, she was like, what do you want to do? And I told her, I said, I don't like the way I feel. I don't like the way talking to them made me feel. And, um, as weeks, as I, weeks went on, I mean, my mother had this conversation. We talk about it often when people ask me why I started this. I said, do other kids feel like this? And she said, so like, what? They're like, nobody's listening to them. And she was like, I'm sure they are. And I was like, well, I want to be the person that they can talk to so they know someone is really listening to them and can help them. And that's what my mother was like, that you want to do this and that seven, I learned the correct terminology for it. I learned that that was a psychologist. And at 11, I learned that I wanted to be a clinical psychologist. I always wanted to help people because I always felt that when you suffer from abuse and trauma and then you go to therapists who don't identify with you, that man was a black man, but that black man was not from the hood. He didn't yeah. have any good adjacent experiences. He wasn't yeah. from the city. He, he was not a little girl. He'd never been a little girl. He right. didn't identify with me. So he tried to force the characters that he could identify. And that white right. woman was so far removed, at the end of the day, she was flying out of that southeast office. Because she didn't want to be around these niggas. I'm going to say it that way. That's yes. true. No, I mean, that's, that's how valid. Yeah, Her face looked like when she saw her clients that she hated being there. The Medicaid money was real money. That's what it looked like. I remember going in this room and feeling like, she don't even want to talk to me. At four. We know that feeling when you, when you are being rejected by an adult. And I internalized that, and I hated it. And that's what really made me want to do, be a clinician. I wanted to right the wrong and make sure that nobody felt like they couldn't tell their truth and be healed properly after telling their truth. That's amazing, wow. that's, That's a very amazing experience, like just to have so early on. And to, like, find your calling. And it's also crazy because, I mean, like, it's on the, you know, on the not-so-bright side, you had to go through these really less than stellar experiences in your life. And mm-hmm. you, like, find it. How, mm. how, I have a question. How do you balance, um, because that's, like, something, that really resonates with me because, like, even a lot of the reason why, like, I do this podcast and everything is because, like, I... I get a sense of, like, validation from feeling, like, some of the, like, things I've been through and my experiences I've had and, like, the work I've done on myself to kind of heal from those experiences and those traumas and things. Like, I feel validated when I feel like I can kind of help somebody else in sharing or in listening or um, bringing advice or giving advice or whatever. But at the same time, also something that I have... Notice and um, learn to be like mindful of, and that I, I feel like I got other people who identify as like empaths or just very like people that are, feel like people are drawn to them, I guess, or who also want to be in the mental health space. How do you balance your own healing um, while still helping other people? like how do you not how do you help without taking on that burden for yourself? Mm. It really is a combination of things. Um, one of the things I first had to learn when I first started—I think I first started seeing clients in two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten—as um, a part of, you know, my training program. And I, we like, you go out here once they say you're cleared, you are competent enough to see clients and be supervised about it. You're like, I'm gonna stay the water this bitch. And you don't realize <laughs> that you can't save the world and it's this. So every day, like, <laughs> you can't. Right. You, it's a step at a time. Burnout taught me so much about, I don't like the word violent so much because there's nothing such thing as a true violence, but burnout taught me a lot about treating myself right mm-hmm. because I realized that to do the work that I need for others to heal, I have to be okay. Yeah, because if I'm too burdened with my own issues, my own problems, I can't focus on you, or I can't give you the me that I know is the best me therapeutically, and that's doing harm. And one of the first things we and our our ethics that we take it all to do is to do no harm, and I don't ever want to be in a position to, be, to, to make somebody feel like four-year-old ask himself. So it was, what do I need to do? I take a mental health day. If something goes wrong, or if I had a really big blowout with my... I remember walking into the office one day as an intern, and I had a really bad family issue. Family members were calling left and right. I had a family member die. And I walked into the office, and I remember not really having uh, one or two clients because it was maybe close to holiday schedule. And I said, I'm going to take a mental health day because I can feel the tears about the well up and I'm doing no good to anybody. And my supervisor was like, "Ah." sorry, baby. My supervisor was like, great call. Yeah. Um, Because if I'm not here, I'm robbing you. I have to be present in order for you to get what you need. And also it's a matter of I owe myself more than I owe anybody else in this world. So, I'm not going to get to the level that I want to get and then not take care of myself. I worked too hard to get here to not take care of myself. I've gone through the anxiety attacks, the depressive episodes, the the financial stress, you know, the the self-doubt. And I got through it. And to build myself up and to develop that level of strength, and then let myself be vulnerable. <laughs> and to let myself be vulnerable and not take the precautions I need to do to heal my wounds. Yeah. That's preposterous. Like, I had to learn how to do that. And there are sometimes, there, there are days where I think about things that my clients tell me. Yeah. And there are days where it's, I've had, last week was, the week before last was one of the heaviest consecutive session days that I had. And it was a moment where I, and I was going through some of my own stuff and I mm-hmm. sat in the car and was like, well, what am I going to do to make myself feel better? Not in the sense of like, you know, turn the, turn the feelings off because they pissed up my evening, but it was, yeah. I don't like this feeling. And if this feeling lingers, it's going to pour over into other things. Let me stop it now. Let me process it now. Mm-hmm. So I stopped, you know, beating myself up from processing it. Like, I thought that's important, yeah. You have to. Like, because most people say, stop the thought. No. before we thought stop, we need to process what we yeah. If you just stop, stop it, it just comes right back up at a it very inconvenient time. time. At the most yeah. intrusive time in your mind, <laughs> it'll be right there. And, yeah, there you I, go. I literally started doing that, like, actively practicing that uh, in 2019 of like, trying to consciously force myself to process my emotions when they arrive, because I'm so, like, programmed to be a, a, like, this is so inconvenient, we'll deal with this later, and then it comes up at this intrusive time that I'm like, oh, God, no, oh, God, no, this is not what I, this is not the later that I meant, and I learned right now is the best time, like, that's, that's, and that's, so, because I think, and especially because people will just say, like, oh, just don't think about it. But, like, no, you have, to, you have to really process it. Not just not think about it. You have to sit. Sometimes you have to sit with uncomfortable emotions. Which I think yeah. it's hard for people to, like, hear that in a space of, in a conversation about healing and, like, feeling better and feeling good. It's weird to hear that, like, you also have to sit with that really uncomfortable painful or whatever emotion that is first yeah you cannot say i just want to be happy if you don't acknowledge the things that are making you sad because yeah. if you ignore it and you don't process it like you said i love to say that intrusive piece comes back because is you haven't dealt with the layers that are there so and i think i said something like this at the panel uh you know you can't appreciate what joy is until you feel from pain. Yes. You can't, you know, you you really, we really we struggle, like, to say, I'm depressed or I'm sad. You know, oh, what are people going to think about that? I don't have time to be depressed. I can't. I can't. That's <laughs> my favorite. That <laughs> is my you favorite. Know? When I'm being crazy in my head, I don't have time to be. I don't have time to be anxious. And then I'm like, you hey, sound crazy. And I'm like, yeah, this is true. I'm like, I don't have time for a depressive episode. And it's like, <laughs> okay, you're going to fix your brain chemicals? <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> True, true. Let's deal with it. It's okay. You have to. Because once you deal with it, it's easier for you to go back into the normalcy. Once you process it, it's not look as it was before, and you're able to break things down. Okay, what do I need to do? What am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? What is my plan? And it makes it so much easier than running away from it. You know, you you can't, you won't run, but so far because it's going to corner you. And when it does get to you, yeah, your yes, ass going to get beat because me. So cru- it, it intensifies. It's literally like the longer you run. From, I learned that with I have I have um t- like Type C PTSD, and um, mm-hmm. I learned that the hard way with my PTSD because I went through this period in my, like, process where the only thing I was trying to, like, the only tool I was implementing to try and cope was avoidance. Mm -hmm. And so I was at a point where I was, like, I'm sick of actively dealing with this every day. I'm just going to try to avoid it. And that's, like, it doesn't exist, even though it's there every day. Right? I was, like, we're just going to pretend it doesn't exist. And, like... When that shit hit the fan and smacked me in my face, it sat me on my ass for, like, three months of, like, me missing work for weeks, like, like, crazy shit, and I was like, whoa, okay, never do that again. I was like, that's clearly not the way, because the longer I held on to, like, not addressing it, the stronger and stronger it got. And then when it finally punched me, what would have been, like, a little punch to the gut was, like, Mm -hmm. a full-blown, knock-the-wind-out-of-me thing. And I was like, oh, shit. And that that was probably, that was a hard lesson to learn. (laughs) You got jumped by yourself and jump. <laughs> you look around and see who's hitting you and, and it's you it's like, it's me. Yeah. Yeah. It's me. because you're wanting and, it's, and that's what conflict period I think our first uh, our first inclination when we deal with any type of conflict whether it be internal or external is to avoid but you can avoid for so long um, until it becomes bigger than what you were avoiding now there are other things involved because it is grown and right. We it it's it, it's us being uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable with being uncomfortable, and what we have to understand is, in that moment of discomfort, we're learning how to minimize too. So, do mm-hmm. you want to constantly be uncomfortable and uh, and and avoiding this all the time, or do you want to be uncomfortable for a little while? They can get back to the way you like. Yes, life. yes, I love that. I try to. I, okay, I use this metaphor all the time with my friends, and when I um used to like work with kids, like life. i put it this way: life is gonna hit you no matter what. You cannot avoid getting hit by life. Like this is part of the human experience. Is there's gonna be moments where you're getting beat up. It is what it is. It's like the bully at school. You know, like if you just fight them up uh, front, one good time. They'll probably leave you alone, but when you avoid them for a week or two, now they're mad, and now you're going to your ass beat and ambush mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. school at 3 o'clock. Ooh, I want to say something, but I'm about to post this video on my Instagram, and I'll be dropping the tea. <laughs> Guys, I'm going to get Instagram. Okay? Drop the tea. So, all I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of the tea that I'm going to drop. So, you know, conflict is a natural bully like you said mm-hmm. so conflict is a natural bully and you the more you avoid the conflict the more you like you said you're giving that bully the the, the sustaining needs oh you're of yes. me uh-huh. so like, now i know you're of me i'm gonna fuck with you even more yeah so the one time that you address that bully like mom I, I got bullied in elementary school and it lasted mm-hmm. until middle school you know what happened i flexed on that bully yeah. And that bully was like, oh, she's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What are you crazy? Yeah. <laughs> I'm crazy enough to step into this conflict arena and say, look, we're going to handle it right now. Right. Once you handle it right now, and you get up close and personal with that bully, and you fighting that bully, even if you take some blows, you realize this person isn't as big as you thought they were. Oh, it's not as big yeah. as you thought they were. It's not as they're not as strong as they thought that you thought they were. Yeah, you can actually go toe to toe for a couple rounds. Right. Even if you get your ass beat, you kind of like, damn, it didn't hurt as bad, you know. Now yeah. what to do? I right. know how to go into my next fight. I I personify every piece of mental health awareness and mental health conditions. But conflict is a bully. Yep. depression is your ex-boyfriend the abusive ex-boyfriend mm-hmm. um, anxiety is your frenemy and all of them work in tandem Ooh, y'all gotta watch my Instagram later all of them work in tandem but once you start directly confronting these people these things yep. you'll realize how easy it is for you to start beginning that healing yep. and you'll be like damn why didn't I do this before why was I just running?" it yeah. Why was I running from my? You are running from yourself. It helps you take yes. your power back. It's just a matter of just look. I'm gonna be. A, I'm gonna not be comfortable for a little minute. I don't know mm-hmm. how long this minute is, but I'd rather be. Like I said, I'd rather be uncomfortable for a moment than uncomfortable for the rest of my life. Oh, that's a word. That's a word. Yes. yes. See, you get a word. Yes. <laughs> I like that one. No, that's so real, because that's really, that's, that's really what it comes down to. And, and and carrying, like, even just on a physical level, like, your body shouldn't be flooded with stress hormones that often. Like, it's not, like, prolonged. Like, it's not okay to, the long-term carrying of it wears you down on, on a cellular level. Like, yeah. It, 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 it literally fucks you up. Yeah. Stress is terrible. Stress is terrible. Constantly being anxious, constantly being depressed, constantly being distressed. Literally you put yourself at risk for strokes, for heart attacks, you're putting your risk yourself at uh, risk for unhealthy eating patterns, unhealthy sleeping patterns. There comes with there's pain that's associated with anxiety and depression mm. that people don't understand. It's real physical, real somatic yeah. and I know. I have fibromyalgia, so I'm old. I'm, most of the days of my life, I'm in. I don't Aww. want no extra pain, so I'm not going to here. It allow something to kick my ass to the point of silence because I'm embarrassed. I don't want to be judged, or I feel yeah. like I, I don't got time for it. Well, guess what? This depressive episode said you got time today. So process it and right. let it pass Aww. because episodes are episodes you yeah. got to figure out how to fix it and not let it to be, you know, an episode. Uh, usually, an okay. episode can last a couple of days or a week or two, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes a month, and, and it can suck. But I can deal with that as opposed to years and years and years of compounding issues because I didn't start dealing with those yeah. three bits that kind of, yeah. like, Lego block them. <laughs> yeah. And also, you, and as you start to deal with them, you start to gain more... um, like resilience in terms of like one thing I noticed is that when I started actually addressing the depressive episodes, it's now to the point where like I know I can kind of know like okay even if this is gonna get bad like I can cut this down to two weeks I can cut this down to a month I can like whereas before it would be like long drawn out mental health and now it's like okay, no, 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 like I, like, I now have the tools, I now have, and that's something I stress to people, because it was, I think that's, like, that's a super important point you need. um, before we wrap it up today, I did want to know, if you could say, like, three small things, um, particularly for people of color, and black women in particular, that we could do on a daily basis to help improve our mental health, so something small that we could start doing tomorrow, per se. Um, what what would those small things be? One, take moments for yourself. No matter how small those moments are, whether they be 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, the world can wait for a few moments while you do something that's directed and completely focused on you. You need that time. If you can elongate those moments into a weekend or a day or mm-hmm. a spa day or friend day, whatever you need, do it. And it doesn't have to be something extravagant. It doesn't have to be, oh my god, I'm in the Poconos. Yes, see me. I'm young, mm-hmm. here healing. No, it could be I'm eating this meal. I'm taking myself to lunch once a week. Yeah. And I'm doing it. Or if I can't take myself to lunch because of my budget, I'm at home eating without my kid or my significant other eating from my plate and they know not to bother me into the church. Show those off. Yes. You know? Do yes. what you need to do for yourself because you pour into so many people. Okay? So, that. She said three. Secondly, it is okay not to be okay. And we have to really embrace that. If you're not feeling yourself, that's okay. If you are struggling, that's okay. You don't have to be on all the time. That's a part of being human. Nobody expects perfection, really, because we all go through shit. And we need to understand that Happiness is a great emotion, but we we experience so many other things. It's a part of being human, and other people feel it, too. It's all right. Embrace that. No one's perfect. Stop chasing this perfect view of yourself. If if somebody asks you how you're doing and you say, not that great, they're not going to look at you like you're the the worst alien that comes to take over the whole planet. You know, it's okay not to be okay. And then... Third, I would say, <clears throat> especially when we talk about our mental health, and especially when we talk about our community, as far as being black men and black women especially, it's okay to ask for help. Mm. You can't do everything by yourself. There are some things that you can crank and be like, okay, I'm going to take care of this bill, I'm going to take care of this obligation, I can take care of this. But if you have been dealing with intense emotions or dysregulated behaviors or patterns that you don't like in yourself that you're seeing or just toxicity in terms of your relationship and you see that, look, things are getting better and you're doing it on your own and mm-hmm. sanity, at its core, is doing the same thing over and over and expecting the different results. Yeah. Ask for help. It doesn't make you weak. It makes you a strong person who realizes yes. that this is a lot that I have to do. And in order for me to win this battle, I need a little backup. It's okay. You're not broken. You just have to find a different way to exercise yourself. Mm, I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> You're not broken. You just got to find another way to exercise yourself. I like that. Yes. That was best. Yes. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for coming today and just sharing all this knowledge. This was such a wonderful conversation. and. I know that a lot of, like, what you shared, people will be able to use and, like, help. And even just hearing your story is so inspiring because uh, yeah. well, when you see one person, you know what I mean? That's like, oh, like, she looks like me. You know what I mean? <laughs> she can do it. I can do it too. Okay, cool. You know it's And that stuff is really, like, it's so meaningful. Representation matters. <laughs> Hey, I always say that because it's, it's it's so meaningful. So I really appreciate you just coming and sharing with us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I do want you to let uh, let the viewers know where they can find you on social media, if you're accepting new clients, and just um just where where they can get access to you. Well, awesome. First of all, I would like to thank you for inviting me on. I just love your energy and I love your spirit and I love your transparency because not you know. Not just me as a mental health provider. You, as a person that are that is walking in their truth, as a black woman walking in their truth, is going to save so many hearts. So thank you for that. Thank um you're So where can you find me on Instagram? I'm Doctor Vivid. Um, I also have my website, which is uh, VividInnovators.com. On Facebook, I'm Doctor Vivid, spelled out the doctor. <laughs> where else am I? What a good. doctor visit. Spelled out for Um, From there, yes, I am accepting therapy clients um, if there are, are people in the D.C. metropolitan area. And also, I am accepting new wellness and lifestyle clients. And that doesn't matter where you live. Um, I have done it all over. So, yes, I am. You can find um, that information for booking on my website. Or if you drop me a DM... I don't have a problem with talking to you as long as you're not creepy and you appropriate. We can do that. <laughs> All right. There you go. Well, welcome. So, um yeah, Great. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. Um, I don't really have many closing announcements other than if you haven't done so already, comment, rate, subscribe. Please, please, please. Don't DM me saying how much you love it, even though I appreciate that. Go put it in a rating. That would just... That would be great. Uh, And also, go check out the Patreon account. It is up and running, patreon.com slash live from the backseat. There's wonderful exclusive content on there. Um, And so thank you, everybody, for joining us, and have a great day.